Today's spiking inflation and huge debt imbalances look like they're going to force interest rates higher in the coming year. And that could drive a massive rotation of capital out of today's popular sectors and into a host of new ones, creating painful losses for some investors and tremendous gains for others. If, if they would take interest rates today to uh, 1.75, which was exactly where it was prior to the pandemic crash, the entire treasury curve outside of a 30-year yield would be inverted. So it's a, you know that that is just to show how trapped they are today. It's 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 almost insane. If there was ever a time to own tangible assets, that time is today, in our opinion. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Inflation is becoming a real problem. The latest data shows the CPI, the consumer price inflation rate, at 6.2%. That's higher than anything we've seen in decades, and it's looking less and less transitory like our leaders initially promised us it would be. So we now have inflation spiking at the same time that financial asset prices are at all-time highs. What will happen next? Today, we're being joined by Kevin Smith and Tavi Costa, the Chief Investment Officer and the Portfolio Manager of Crescent Capital, a global macro asset management firm highly respected for the market analysis and excellent data and charts it publishes regularly. They believe the financial markets are about to undergo a great rotation where capital will flow out of today's popular sectors and into a host of new ones, creating painful losses for some investors and massive gains for others. Kevin and Tavi, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Looking forward thanks, to Adam. All right, guys. Well, look, uh, let's get started with a question I like to ask all my guests to kick off these discussions. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? And why don't we start with you there, Kevin? Okay. Um, well, really, we, we see um, some cross currents developing. On, on the one hand, we have what we think are, are truly historic asset bubbles in, in long what we call long-duration financial assets, whether it's um, large-cap growth stocks, mega-cap tech, um, fixed-income securities, uh, and um, technology stocks certainly um, ac across the board, uh, but valuations for the broad market, um, you know, not just tech stocks. At the same time, we we have rising inflation, like you alluded to, that is is really starting to to I think begin to shock people that it is not that the transitory doesn't mean what the Fed tried to sell us that it means that that it's actually something that's gonna be around for a little bit longer and a little bit higher, if not a lot longer and a lot higher than, than um, what people originally were led to believe. That, that's still a shock that we think is, is, is coming and building and going to continue to build. And, but there is opportunity on the, um, on the long side of the market and commodity related industries, uh, which we can get into a lot more, but that's the basic setup for, um, uh, for the imbalances in, in the market that, that we see today. All right, Tavi, anything you want to add to that? Sure. I, I think the issue today, uh, on top of what Kevin said, it has to do with this macro regime change that we're seeing. It is an inflationary environment. It's a place where cost of capital has been rising. We think it's going to be rising significantly from here. It's going to change the leadership of the market in a way. 
Uh, it's going to change the way we prioritize fundamental analysis, uh, which has been thrown out the window for the last uh, decade or so. I think that will change significantly. And, and to Kevin's point, it's, it's interesting how the market participants that we have today, the younger crowds, they haven't seen any recession and declines in equity markets, or the other part of the crowd, which has not experienced an inflationary environment. Um, I, think, I think we're about to enter a new phase here in the market that will change quite a lot uh, what the leadership will look like. We think that this great rotation is going to come out of, of very long duration assets from even treasury markets to uh, even the, the, the tech stocks that have uh, unjustifiable, in our opinion, multiples uh, for what we think uh, or what the market thinks are going to be delivering as far as free cash flow and other fundamentals. And so we think that rotation is going to come into profitability. And the profitability that we find in the markets uh, has to do with natural resource projects, and mostly in mining companies, uh, in energy companies, and so forth. And so our focus has been on tangible assets, owning companies that will uh, do something with tangible assets. And, and for us, we've you know never been so with so much conviction on on adding uh, so much to a portfolio on the precious metal side. So we can get into that as well. But that's where the great rotation is coming from. It's really from a cost of capital perspective, making it uh, changing the whole environment of, of how we prioritize fundamentals. All right, great. Um, I, I am excited to get into those resource plays uh, as we get into the discussion here. But, but first, I want to dig into this cost of capital. Um, <clears throat> so, um, Capital has been ridiculously cheap, right? As the Fed drove interest rates down to basically zero. Um, and uh, with money being that cheap, uh, you know, it's been super easy to borrow it. Um, and, uh, you know, the markets have been flooded with liquidity, you know, largely over the past decade plus. Um, <clears throat> so you guys are saying, look, capital's about to become more expensive. Um, I uh, read your guys's um, recent research letters. Um, this is just one that I printed out for this discussion. Like I told you earlier, uh, before we started recording, it broke my printer. Um, you guys just have a massive amount of, of not only just analysis, but these wonderful charts. And I do want to try to speak to as many of the charts from your recent letters as I can. On this topic of cost of capital, you've got these two charts showing the net issuances of both um, treasury uh, bills and then treasury bonds and notes. And I'd like it, Tavi, if maybe you can just continue for a moment on cost of capital and talk to these two charts, because they basically show, if I'm reading them correctly, that um, the, the Fed is sh shifting the mix of uh, the, or at least the, the, the treasury is shifting the mix uh, of the debt that it has out there. Um, it is now issuing fewer short duration um, instruments. So it's, it's issuing fewer T-bills, but it's now uh, issuing more longer duration instruments. And the reason why that's important is um, longer term interest, uh, longer duration uh, bills and notes charge a higher interest rate, right? So the, the mix of capital, at least of treasury uh, securities that are out there uh, is, the cost is going up because it's got more of those long durated, uh, duration plays. So if you can just sort of say what I said, but say it's smarter. No, that's exactly right what you said. I mean, it, it kind of caught me by surprise looking at the total amount of issuances of bonds and notes, number one. You know, we're, we're seeing unprecedented amounts. Unprecedented is a word that's been used quite a lot. 
but it truly is. Uh, we've seen somewhere close to $600 billion, actually a little bit more than that, just in the last three months of issuances of those, uh, those two types of securities. And those, uh, when you step back and look at throughout history, what is exactly happening is throughout, uh, when you have crises, usually what the government does is they issue a lot of short-term maturity bonds, uh, which are the T-bills in the treasury market, uh, in order to fund a lot of the stimulus that we see uh, coming out of that. Uh, and that is also a way where it's much easier for the market to, to absorb uh, those securities as they come into flooding into the market. Um, now, what we're seeing today is that later on, just like in the global financial crisis and, and coming out of the pandemic, is that we start to transition away from, from that, and we start seeing uh, those, uh, those uh, T-bills start to mature, uh, and then we start seeing a very large issuance of bonds and notes. That's precisely what's going on today. So the average maturity of the overall debt in the government is increasing. It was somewhere close to 72 months right now. Uh, we think it's gonna surge uh, from here. Uh, and so uh, it, we gotta think about the supply and demand uh, factor here because we know that foreign investors have been decreasing the amount of purchase of treasuries. That has been the case, a trend that has been, uh, I would say, I would call it a long-term trend. Uh, at the same time, we've seen the Federal Reserve picking up the slack and buying uh, a very larger percentage of that. So the Fed owns about 40% of the overall amount of government debt in the markets right now of marketable securities. And so where do we go from here when the Federal Reserve is telling you that they've been, so just in the last three months, they issue about $620 billion of bonds and notes. The Fed bought about 35% of that uh, in the last three months. And they're telling you they're going to go to zero in seven to eight months from now, and meaning they're going to be tapering their purchases from $80 billion uh, a month of treasuries and 40 billion of mortgage uh, securities to zero in June, I believe, of 2022. Uh, and who is going to be the buyer? At the same time, we're seeing inflation starting to get out of control. So all those forces are questioning, uh, I would say, uh, to, uh, to us, uh, the real question is, what is that going to do to 10-year yields? We think 10-year yields are, are very mispriced. We think it, it, it's very plausible to see uh, them uh, going up to about two and a half to three percent. And from there, I think we're going to start seeing this narrative of yield curve control again. So it's, uh, you know, I think it, it's all tied up to this idea of cost of capital, but it really starts from the government level as well. All right. Thank you. And, and just to help folks understand why cost of capital is so important, it's important for a whole host of reasons, but um, the way in which you value uh, an investment. There are several different ways you can do it, but one is doing what's called a discounted cash flow model, where you're basically projecting out how much that particular investment is going to be earning every year going forward. And because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tom tomorrow based on time value of money, you have to come up with what's called a weighted average cost of capital uh, figure to basically use to discount those future cash flows with. And so if if the you know, if, if the cost of capital goes up, then the ultimate valuation that you're calculating over that time period must come down. It's just a mathematical relationship here. So what Tavi just said is, you know, if, if, if the 10 year, um, you know, basically doubles from here, right? Cause it's, or it goes up about 50% from here, right? Cause it's about 2% right now, it goes up to say three or more. Um, that's gonna have a really meaningful impact on all sorts of asset valuations. Uh, Kevin, heading over to you, um, 
around this, uh, you know, the, this situation of, of uh, you know, Tavi mentioned that the, the Treasury changing its mix and the Fed owns a bunch of Treasury instruments, but is, is not going to be buying them as much going forward or at all um, once it's done tapering. You guys have said that the, quote, the Fed has always been trapped, but this time it's as trapped as it could possibly be. Can you elaborate on why you're saying that around this topic? Sure. First of all, that's probably a Tavi quote, but uh, <laughs> I agree 100%. Um, so, you know, the idea of the Fed being trapped is is really that now we really do have inflation. You know, a lot of people thought there was going to be inflation coming out, out of the global financial crisis because of all the money printing. I was I was one of them. And, you know, we what instead what we, we had, despite all the money printing, was in, inflation of asset bubbles. Uh, well, today, and, and so the Fed could get away with with um, the money printing and, and the interest rates suppression. Um, we call it financial repression when 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 uh, there's so much debt that that the that the government's able to keep interest rates low uh, in order. They have to keep interest rates low in order to service the debt. But um, uh, and so that there was an excuse that the Fed had uh, for, um, you know, that for keeping interest rates low and and for for the, the QE because they, they could get not an excuse so much as, as that they, the idea that they could get away with it because because inflation wasn't a problem and, and people believed that that we were actually in a deflationary economy and 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 we I wouldn't call it deflation I would call it you know lo, low inflation but um, but today things are different today we actually have substantially rising inflation. And so the Fed has to do something credible to, to fight inflation. That's why they're, they're being forced to taper now. And, um, and that means no more QE and, or, or a declining amount of QE uh, until the taper is done. And, and which is June of, of 2022, according to the schedule now, but even, uh, even, um, you know, the St. Louis uh, Fed President Bullard was on today suggesting that uh, maybe they need to taper even faster than that uh, to really get ahead of inflation here. And so so the idea that they have to do something credible to to try to get ahead of rising inflation means that they can't they can't just do this this QE and get away with the idea that it's not inflationary because we live in an inflationary world today. Uh, and and as as Tavi was just saying, that 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 means there's going to be pressure on the long end of the curve. There's going to be pressure on cost of capital to rise, and rising cost of capital is, is not just the ten-year yield rising; it's it's also credit spreads rising. Now, when when you look at a discounted free cash flow model that they teach us in business school and in the CFA program, it's not you don't just discount your cash flows by the ten-year yield. You have to also factor in a risk premium, and and so I think um, a lot of there's just a lot of kookiness in the market today when it comes to valuations and people just assuming that you can use ultra low discount rates, but in a rising inflation environment, your cost of capital, your discount rate has has got to go up, and especially these long you know, this, this terminal, you know, this terminal discounting of, of growth stocks at a really low rate. When you, when you run your, your DCF models in a rising inflation environment, you have, you're, you're putting more weight on the front end cash flows than you are on the back end cash flows. And so companies that are, 
that are actually you know showing you know high growth today in a rising inflationary environment become more valuable than the companies that might be showing longer term growth the, the companies with the lowest valuations and the highest growth rates actually turn out to be a lot of the resource-based industries today, not the high-tech companies. Right, right. The uh, the mining company that's profitably pulling ore out of the ground versus, say, Arivian that has all of its sales in the future. <laughs> None of it yeah. so far today. All right. Exactly. Um, I want to get wonky for a second, but on this to stick on this point for a second. Um, Kevin, I'd love it if you could talk briefly about this chart here, the Taylor rule to Fed funds rate spread. Um, because I think it, it goes to the point of, of the trap that the Fed is in. What you guys have said here, um, today's interest rates policy is perhaps the most aggressive interest policy we've ever seen. Considering where GDP growth, inflation, and the unemployment rate is today, the Taylor Rule baseline model suggests that the Fed funds rate should be at 9.3%. So am I interpreting that right as saying, hey, sort of in a sane world, that's where the Fed funds rate would be right now, based upon historical relationships. But the Fed can't let it get there because, um, you know, the, the world is so addicted to these low interest rates, it'll just kill the market and plunge the economy into recession if it, if it hikes much higher from here, despite the job owning that folks like Bullard are doing today. Sure. Well, first of all, I have to give credit to Tavi for that chart because that's his chart. And, um, and it's a brilliant chart because it really shows... Uh, that when the Fed is doing something credible to fight inflation and they have to, to follow rules in order to, to do that, that's why the Taylor rule came into effect was it was a, was a mathematical formula based on unemployment and inflation uh, and the trade-off between the two that, that you know, to, to come up with a credible Fed policy for, uh, for fighting inflation in a rising inflation environment. Or, or for lowering rates in, in, a, in an environment where the Fed might might need to do that as well because of, of high unemployment, let's say. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, I would defer a little bit to Tavi to comment on this chart since that's his. Okay, yeah, um, I think I think that it, it goes back to the idea, and, and thanks, Gavin, I'll, I'll say that it goes back to the idea of why the Federal Reserve is really trapped. I think that's, uh, I think what's uh, the really meaningful about the chart uh, it has to do with the capability of the Fed and, and how restricted they are. And not only the Fed, but really central banks from specially developed economies that are way behind the curve in regards to where inflationary forces are. Um, and we think that financial conditions could should be tightening significantly from here, given where inflation is. But the issue is uh, the amount of leverage in the system doesn't allow them to do so. And the other issue is the imbalances and valuations that Kevin was referring to, uh, which I think it's a huge deal. And so when we compare with other decades in the past, uh, and you know, in that chart, we're going back, I believe we will we'll go back all the way to the 70s. And even that is, is uh, today is even more extreme. Uh, the, the difference of that is that the government debt in those in those periods were way significantly lower than what it is today. And some people like to use the 40s as a great example. The 40s, we've had that sort of financial repression moment uh, throughout the whole decade where uh, I would say 10-year yields and three-month uh, yields were actually uh, significantly low compared to where the government debt uh, was. 
uh, and also where inflation was at the time. So real rates were negative, and that was one of the uh, similarities among those two uh, decades. You can also look at the 1910s, which was another inflationary environment. And those three decades have one similarity, which is real rates being negative and commodities outperforming other assets. And so why is this so important? Because I think uh, when you go back to those, those times, uh, the financial repression we saw in the 40s, we didn't have the tax policy we have today. The tax policy at the time, just looking at the tax bracket of the, the high tech, uh, the higher uh, rate of the tax bracket here today, was somewhere about 94%, I believe. Today is somewhere close to 30 or so. Uh, so, you know, significantly lower than it was. So it's way more aggressive. The other issue that we didn't see back then, uh, which allowed the Federal Reserve to even be a little bit more aggressive than today or less restricted to what it, what it is today, uh, has to do with the valuations of the equity markets. In the 40s, the valuations were nowhere close to where they are today, not even in the 70s or the 1910s. And so this issue of central banks not being able to use their policies uh, from interest rates, uh, especially to uh, fight inflation is a big deal. Instead, what we're seeing is policymakers are using double digit uh, twin deficits, deficits relative to GDP, they're going to do another $400 billion of QE in the next eight months. They're going to keep rates at zero for the foreseeable future. Um, and at, at the same time, we're seeing ESG policies restricting companies from exploring, developing, and producing commodities. So this, this whole mix is, is certainly extremely inflationary in our opinion. And so that is why we think this is a macro regime change. And so that is the re relevance of, uh, of looking at that chart, just a, a normal model of where you think uh, a model would, would suggest you to uh, for interest rates to be today. So, uh, by the way, just a quick point, if, if they would take interest rates today to uh, 1.75, which was exactly where it was prior to the pandemic crash, the entire treasury curve outside of a 30-year yield would be inverted. So it's a, you know that that is just to show how trapped they are today. It's 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 almost insane. If there was ever a time to own tangible assets, that time is today, in our opinion. A uh, great hard-hitting takeaway there. Um, I'm going to uh, probably use that as the teaser for this video when we go live with it. Um, all right, so. Tommy and then Kevin, I'll go straight back to you with the same question. So you guys are forecasting this future of, of rising interest rates here. Um, so what do you project as the implication of those higher rates? Um, and how quickly do you expect them to start actually materializing? But when I say implications, um, do you mean, you know, could this be the, the, the pin that pricks the asset price bubble and we have a, a major market correction? Uh, economic growth is already slowing. Does this throw the economy into recession? Uh, do you see something else? But what do you see as, as a future living under these higher interest rates looking like? Uh, can I defer this question to Kevin? Because he came up with this term, uh, great rotation. I, I think it fits perfectly with uh, your question. So Kevin, take it away. Sure. We think that, you know, the, the pressure for interest rates to rise comes first and foremost from rising inflation and, and, and then from the, the marketplace at, at large, the, the debt imbalances that we have. So yeah, we came up with this, this concept of the great rotation, which is really this rotation out of overvalued assets that, that are, are overpriced due to this assumption of a low inflation economy and a low interest rate economy. But as people start to realize that there, there's greater return to be had, greater growth, better valuation, 
in under in the undervalued commodity segments of, of the economy um, that that have better fundamentals today. Uh, there, there, this rotation starts to develop, and as and you know you know that that people are are self interested and and you know it, it, they care about protecting their, their capital. They, there's a, a combination of fear and greed at, at work here, whether, whether people are trying to make money or whether people are just trying to protect their, their nest egg. Ultimately, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that, um, that uh, people will want to be in, in the asset classes that are going to offer the, the greatest growth and the greatest protection of their assets, and so as as commodity prices start to rise, as, as inflation uh, starts to become higher, it becomes this reflexive phenomenon. In other words, a self-reinforcing kind of phenomenon that, that leads to this great rotation idea. And we have such overvalued asset bubbles in in um, in large cap growth stocks, in in um, in, in mega cap tech, in in fixed income securities. That it's a big, it's a big crowd of of investors trying to get into a much narrower, trying to get through a much narrower door of of investment opportunities today. Uh, that um, that that uh, you can see that the the, the um, it could be explosive in in terms of the uh, commodity price boom that that we see ahead, and and this this all feeds into. Um, into a, a market that has seen a lack of capital investment going into the basic resource industries in our, in our economy, whether it's whether it's metals and mining, mining or oil and gas, or or you know agricultural in, industries, um, forest products, the, the things that we need, the things that we need for the new infrastructure program, uh, are are not in as abundant as supply uh, as as we would like, you know, including the the. The idea of the transition to the new green economy, but to transition to a new green economy, we need we need base metals, we need precious metals, we, we need the resources that will allow um, allow us to uh, to make electric vehicles and solar panels and wind and um, and and that requires a, a lot of the the basic resources uh, that that we've just underinvested in and so so. Um, this, um, you know, we're really looking to this um, this this transition economy, uh, and it's a reflexive phenomenon, a self-reinforcing phenomenon as it starts to play out. Okay, great. We have a lot of uh, hard asset, tangible asset investors in our viewership here, and I think they're listening to you, Kevin, and saying. Hallelujah. <laughs> like we've sort of suffered through this kind of lackluster uh, decade. Um, certainly the precious metals folks, especially if they were in the mining companies, you know, they, they've got their scars uh, from this past decade uh, to prove what, it, what a tough time it's been. And it sounds like you're saying all the reasons why you guys got into to hard assets um, are about to come true. Uh, they're about to become fully expressed um, as all of this capital begins leaving the high-flying, terribly overpriced stocks right now, where you know fundamentals haven't mattered for years, uh, and it's going to start trying to seek the haven of these these smaller, um, you know, shorter duration uh, natural resource-based uh, plays. And as you said, the um, the order of magnitude 
of uh, those markets right now is at a huge imbalance, right? There's just a lot more capital in the Amazons, Googles, Apples, Teslas of the world than there are in these small natural um, producers and extraction companies. I'll let you provide more detail on that. Um, but real quickly, I just wanna dial through a couple of charts from your recent, your most recent um, uh, research letter, um, which was titled uh, The Great Rotation. Um, you mentioned um, you're, you expect to see a rotation out of growth and into value. And you have this chart here. Um, doesn't necessarily look like that rotation has, has started in earnest yet, but it certainly looks like we are perched at the apex um, of the trend. And we can see that we saw something similar um, you know, back around the turn of the millennium where we were at similar heights um, in terms of the index rating. And then you know, it reversed pretty deeply over the next 10 years. I assume you expect to see a very similar trajectory, maybe one that even goes deeper than the, the 205 to 2009 period. Is that true, Kevin? Uh, well, as, asset bubbles burst and we, we have one you know, asset, we have one heck of an asset bubble right now in technology stocks, very similar to the tech bubble in 2000, but you're probably referring to the, the EV to sales chart in, in there. If you look at other measures, price to book and um, you know free cash flow yield, especially real free cash flow yield. Um, the, the, you know, the, we, we are a truly record asset bubbles and we, we have probably 10 different valuation indicators that we look at that, that show that the market is the most overvalued it's ever been the stock market on a broad basis, but, um, uh, but especially due to the, the, the technology sector. Um, and, and this is, um, you know, asset bubbles do burst. Markets are cyclical. Yes, we've been in long, one of the longest growth stock environments ever. If you do have to kind of, uh, kind of, you know, put that COVID crash aside because it recovered so quickly. Uh, to new highs here, but if you know that aside, we are in the longest, uh, most excessive bull market for technology stocks ever. And and what is you know why do uh, why do these cycles happen? Um, they they um, well there you know there's two major cycles that that, that we look to uh, for comparison. There, there's more, but there's two that we that at least personally I think and, and Tavi alluded to one of them. The 1970s are are the the model for the current environment. Uh, in the 1970s, you had the the the, um, the Nifty 50 growth stock phenomenon, uh, and and um, and that led to the 73 74 bear market. This was a, a another negative real interest rate environment like we have today, where you had rising gold prices, rising treasury prices, rising rising treasury yields. I mean, rising energy prices, rising inflation stagflationary environment that is not unlike today and uh, and the tech bus was the tech bus was something similar where where um, we, we just had such excessive speculation in in technology stocks uh, I personally I think crypto is akin to the to the dot-com bubble on steroids uh, you know it's, for me it's a software kind of a phenomenon software is one of the the industry groups that we think is just hyper overvalued and you know, crypto being the software-based technology to me is, is an ex extension of that. I know that that um, a lot of the crypto crowd crowd has this very dogmatic 
view that that um, Bitcoin, for instance, is is for inflation protection, and and they agree with a lot of what the the hard asset um, investor community agrees with in terms of the need for inflation protection, which we totally agree with here. Um, but it's not a tangible it's not a tangible asset in a traditional sense. So um, I think it's a symptom of the, of the bubble today, and you know bubbles burst. So that's 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 something that. I think we, we forget about in, in today's in, environment, like Tavi was saying, a lot of people haven't lived through the, the tech bust or the global financial crisis that are managing money today. Um, you know, certainly the, the 1929 style and 73, 74, uh, uh, you know, markets that, 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 you know, that we, you know, people don't realize that the type of um, shocks that we can have in the financial market. So, are, are we going to get one of those today? You know, we we believe it's a much higher probability than than uh, what is priced into the markets today. That that's for sure. And that chart that you're referring to is certainly showing that setup today. Great. Okay, Tavi, I'm going to come to you in a minute because I'm going to want to go deep on precious metals. Um, before I do, I want to close this out here with Kevin. Um, so, Kevin, going through your um, research. Uh, letter. And, and by the way, thank you guys for um, giving me permission to make that letter available for free to folks watching this video. And folks, I'll tell you how to get that uh, at the end of the video here. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, folks, you should read it. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, it is very thick, though. So I'm going to try to do my best to summarize some of your conclusions on this great rotation, Kevin, and, and you can clarify for me. Um, but you see a big rotation from growth into value, as we just talked about. Um, you say that tech is going to roll over, which you did a great job of explaining why. Um, you do think that the air is going to come out of the speculative crypto prices that are there, not that the blockchain is going to go away, but that the speculation is going to come out of the current pricing. Um, you then think a lot of that capital is going to go into primary resources, industries, energy, materials, minings, industrials, et cetera. Um, there are three charts I want to put up here just super quickly to drive a few points home. Um, one is uh, the relative value of commodities uh, to the general market. And you can see here that as a complex, um, it has you know, really never been this undervalued. Uh, uh, secondly, uh, this I'm going to use oil and gas here as an example, but you mentioned this, Kevin. The industry has been starved of, of capital expenditures. Um, and so, uh, you know, the resource game is all about production and extraction. Um, but if you're not investing to go find it uh, or to put uh, your your discoveries into actual production, um, you can't actually you know, ship stuff off to the people that, that turn those raw materials into goods that power the economy. So we've, we've really underinvested um, in that, as you said. So obviously we're gonna need to put a lot more money into that space. Um, and then last, there's a chart here um, showing how, uh, basically comparing the performance of um, uh, the agriculture ETF to ammonia prices. You can see they're both turning up, but you can see ammonia prices have just skyrocketed. And it just sort of, it's sort of like a preview of what's to come, right? Ammonia is a key input into agriculture. Ammonia prices are taking off. That's going to, you know, in time ripple through to the agriculture complex. It's going to increase the price of food in general, and those producers are going to have to charge more for it. So um, uh, I, we're just we're seeing lots of 
early signs of what you guys are talking about come to life here. And of course, you guys like the precious metals as well. So Kevin, I'm going to hand it back to you. But but did I do a pretty good job of, of summarizing sort of what you think is going to happen as part of this great rotation? Or is there anything else you'd add or clarify there? Um, absolutely. I, I would just, I'll let Tavi go into the precious metals as you suggested, but just to, to, um, to comment that it's, it's not, it's not just about precious metals. It's about a broad, um, a broad spectrum of commodity prices that, that have witnessed this underinvestment, whether it's the oil and gas industry, the forest products industry, the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the energy, first and foremost, feeds into a whole host of other commodity prices, whether it's metals and mining, um, whether it's fertilizer. And that's the idea behind the ammonia uh, prices relative to agricultural prices chart. Again, that's a, a, a Tavi chart, but a brilliant, uh, you know, catch in, in terms of the relationship between ammonia prices, which are already spiking why? Because of rising natural gas prices and the cost of running the, these plants that produce nitrogen-based fertilizers. Farmers ha have to, to buy nitrogen uh, fertilizer every single year uh, to, to, to have a crop that, that year. And um, they can get by with, with, a, with skimping maybe for, for every two years on the, on the potash and the phosphates, but they have to buy nitrogen-based fertilizer every year if, if, um, if it's, you know, if, if natural gas prices are going up, that's going to feed into the cost of fertilizer. It's going to feed into the cost of food. It's going to squeeze farmers. It's going to drive agricultural prices up. And uh, this is um, and so it's a beautiful chart that that Tavi showed. Agricultural prices are the next cab on the rank here to 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 come, and it just feeds into this whole wage price spiral, which is which is. Um, you know, people have to eat. People have to heat their homes. I, and the setup for in, inflation and commodity prices is something like I, I don't think we have ever seen before. So um, this is a is a is a big issue. All right. Thanks. Okay. So uh, now let's turn over to the precious metals. Uh, we got a lot to talk about there. It's also a topic we talk about a fair amount on this program. I know we have a lot of people. Uh, that follow it closely, a lot of people that actually own either precious metals or mining companies themselves. So Tavi, just giving you that backstory because folks are really gonna be leaning into what we're gonna be talking about here. Um, but in your most recent research letter, you guys said that precious metals are quote, ripe for a major breakout. Uh, I'm assuming you're probably gonna say some of the same things as Kevin, but any other reasons why you would add to why you think specifically precious metals have such a bright future ahead of them? I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh... Our interview with Kevin and Tavi continues over in part two. But before you go listen to it, keep on watching just for one more minute. A lot of this interview is built around the material provided in Crescent Capital's latest research letter, which Kevin and Tavi have kindly agreed to let us offer to you here now for free. To get it, simply go to wealthion.com slash It's packed with excellent charts and analysis that build on the conversation that Kevin, Tavi, and I are having here. And once you've done that, to watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below, or go to youtube.com slash Wealthion. But before you do, please don't forget to support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it, if you haven't already. 
Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our video interview with the fund managers of Crescent Capital. Thank you.